What separates a good anime from a great anime? Why do some animes stick with us long after we've watched it? Welcome to the workshop. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We're two friends from high school and now aspiring writers. And in this podcast, we discuss and deconstruct storytelling elements in some of our favorite animes. Today in the workshop, we will be heading to Antarctica as we discuss the 2018 animated series, A Place Further Than the Universe. This heartwarming story focuses on female friendship, an endearing, spirited quartet of high school girls, and a feel-good adventure that balances slice-of-life comedy, emotional drama, and stunning visuals. So here is the summary. Mari Tamaki is a high school girl who wants to make the most out of her youth. Shirase Kabuchizawa has been working various jobs to save up so she can travel to the place where her mother disappeared three years ago. Hinata Miyake is a girl out of school seeking to leave her present situation before needing to hunker down for college entrance exams next year, and Yuzuki Shirashi is a child actress who feels trapped in her rigid life of celebrity responsibilities. Together, the four embark on a heartwarming but emotional journey to the place that's further than the universe, Antarctica! Yay! Awesome. So um, just to let everybody know, as always, our episodes will be full of spoilers of the entire show. However, we will be starting with our overall impressions. So hopefully we don't do any of the spoiling then. You can stick around for that segment and then uh, and then go watch the show. <laughs> cool. So let's start with my overall impressions today. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm the one who recommended this show. I really liked watching it in my own free time. Um, And so I was like, Kristen, are you up for a healing show? Because that's what they call this genre. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, Yeah, it's called the healing genre. I think it's supposed to be like for your emotional health and well-being. Um, But yeah, it's a lighthearted and generally comedic show. Um, What I noticed about this show is that it has a very particular way of showing its comedic moments in a very simple and traditional way. It's mm-hmm. nothing too complicated. Um, so, for example, they have a lot of expressive characters and reactions. But something particular to this show is that they use very ironic setting elements. It's very simple but effective. So, for example, when Mari finds the one million yen in the envelope, she mm-hmm. opens it in the train station and then as soon as she opens it, she obviously has her, like, big reaction. Yeah. And then there's, like, the sound of a cash register in the background. Mm-hmm. And behind her is this, like, huge billboard that says, oh, like, you know, if you if you participate in this challenge, the award is a million yen. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, like, ironic that she's finding the, the money and then also having this big poster behind her. Or one of my favorites is when they're in the washroom and Shirase, like, <laughs> slams the door open and then on the yeah. bathroom stall is this, is this sign that's, like, Please open doors quietly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very, like, simple, mm-hmm. right? But it's effective, as I said. Yeah. So that's one of the first things that I noticed right off the bat about this show. It's a very simple, accessible, um, and lighthearted show for a lot of people. It's not too emotionally heavy until yes. maybe towards the end. Yeah. Now, the other thing that I noticed about this show is that um, it's interesting because we know where the girls are headed. We know that the girls are going to make it to Antarctica. It's not a mystery, right? Mm-hmm. Where they'll end up, who's going to end up there. Mm-hmm. But instead, I think the show wields its strongest weapon in the way that it makes the audience invest in the characters and genuinely care about the characters and the obstacles that come up 
in their relationship or in their journey to to Antarctica. So that's why I'm I think I'm going to say a lot throughout this sh- this episode today that this show is kind of like a case study for me on friendship, emotions that come out of friendships, mm-hmm. character secure insecurities and fears. Mm-hmm. And I think that from to wrap up my overall impressions, I just want to say that um I think I re- I as an audience member really <laughs> resonated with the show on a personal level. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um and an emotionally profound level. Mm. In part because mm-hmm. the whole cast is girls, guys. <laughs> guys, like let me tell you how exciting that is. The entire <laughs> cast is female. Yes. Um so obviously that is a whole other barrier that has just been taken away. Mm. Um, and also, I really like that the show delves into very nuanced emotions about life, especially when uh, it's, it's essentially a coming-of-age story. So about the emotions that teenagers or young adults might typically feel towards change or instances where they have to step out of their comfort zone and being scared of that, but mm. also having that taste for adventure and Mm. wanting to put yourself out there, the tension between those two, or even um, like, for example, Hinata, who Mm -hmm. is so afraid of appearing emotionally weak in front of others. And so this entire story is kind of like her journey of spiritually and emotionally maturing to a place where she can really interact with her friends on a level that is effective and productive. and so I think that those lessons are really explored uh, towards the later part when you're already really invested in the characters, but it executes yeah. it very well um, in the way that it hooks you onto the story first with its intrigue, and then it's like, bam, emotional trauma. You. <laughs> Here you go. Um, oh, tears. Oh, gosh. Th- those are my overall impressions. What yeah. did you think? Yeah, I mean, like, what else is there to say? Like, this is the definition of a feel-good wholesome anime and to be honest at first I was worried that the show would be too wholesome in that right I was worried going into it that it would lack significant conflict or emotional complexity uh, I see I was worried that it wouldn't evolve character arcs in an interesting way but by the end I would say I was definitely very endeared enough to the characters that I did become invested in the core group of girls and their dynamic together, which is no small feat, you know, no small writing feat, I should say. (laughs) Um, And from a writing perspective, I think the show did set out to do uh, mainly a few things, and I think they did those things well, which is themes of found family with the focus on female friendship, which is amazing. the beauty of what it means to chase a dream, mm-hmm. um, whatever it may be, and uh, exploration of grief, I think, is a big thing. I feel like it manages to be emotional in the right moments and comedic in the right moments. Mm-hmm. And I actually found myself crying like every other episode, which is which is saying something, I think, because I don't cry that easily when I watch mm-hmm. things. So... It's, there's definitely something to be said when a story is able to shape moments like that effectively. I also want to touch upon the genre of the show because from a genre perspective, I think the show is definitely an adventure story and mm-hmm. it definitely leans into slice of life vibes as well. But I also right. think it's interesting to consider how much the show really fits into that typical slice of life mold because on the surface there are um, moments that can seem 
unrealistic if you take them at face value, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. like how everything comes together in the beginning. Like it's almost this comical series of events that like yeah. brings these four t- strangers together. And you might be thinking, like, why would these teenagers <laughs> really be allowed to go on an expedition to the Arctic? Right? That supposed lack of realism can take away from someone's enjoyment of the show. Not me. Just like just saying some people, because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that is a criticism that I saw being leveled against the show. Um, but Fair. my counter argument to that is that the show is definitely aware of that. And I think it calls that out uh, by having characters um, even acknowledge in world that the dream the goal to go to Antarctica is very, it seems very unattainable. And so on that topic, I think you almost have to look at writer intention because to me, this show, it doesn't completely discredit the realism and the logistics of, of the journey. Like you do see them go through that. But also, it doesn't want you to focus on the realism Mm -hmm. of high schoolers going to Antarctica, (laughs) but instead focus on the feeling in and of itself of wanting something more than what your life is and the yearning that comes with that and the struggle of people judging you. I think what Mm -hmm. this show really does best is that it's... It just touches upon the sense of wonder and awe and conviction. And it's almost like Antarctica is just this show's placeholder or symbol of whatever someone's goals are, whatever your own Mm -hmm. goals are as a viewer and whatever we feel like our life journey is. And the feeling of being propelled forward by that simple sense of wonder is valid. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's what the show is really going for, or at least that's how I connected with it. Seeing these characters gradually reckon with whatever they're going through, their own sadness, their own vulnerabilities, and their mm-hmm. own insecurities. Um, I like that the show makes use of nature as this beautiful and dangerous force. And just that theme of, like, the vastness of the universe and stuff. Um, and lastly, of course, I just have to say this, the show is absolutely beautiful. I yeah. think I think Madhouse, um, the animation studio went above and beyond with this show. The animation plays super well with light and water, and it's really able to capture that sense of wonder that the characters themselves are feeling. Um, the show has a female director, which is just a nice little detail, and it was a, it was a fun show to watch for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to piggyback off of what you said about author intention, because yes. I think it transitions really well into... So basically, we'll be talking about the show in chronological order, as always. Yeah. I think it transitions really well into what I took from the first episode, mm. because it's very intentional what the first episode even starts off by, you know, Kimari with this analogy of water stagnating in pools mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, seeing that kinetic energy of the water being breaking free from its confines. I think that if you were to ask the author Mm -hmm. what the purpose of this show was, I feel like the writer would say that they wrote it to serve as an inspiration, maybe Mm -hmm. to people who are too afraid of breaking out of the mold of everyday life. Mm -hmm. And that is really the core theme that they establish in the first episode. And we can see Kimari as being this girl who has that taste for adventure like she Mm -hmm. wants to go after something more than her everyday life um but she just needs that 
call to adventure first. And for her, it comes in the form of Shirase, which is, mm-hmm. like, so cute. But yeah. also, um, I think that contrasting Kimari in the first episode with her friend Megumi was important. Yes. Because I think that they touch in the first episode on what it means to, quote-unquote, have done or accomplished something in life. Mm-hmm. And for some people, I feel like it's okay to just have stayed in the same place like some people are okay with comfort and um and just having stability you know I think that's what something a lot of people seek but people like Kimari who are who just have that taste for adventure but are scared the idea that people like that who are scared of change are will find any excuse they'll find any small inconvenience or hindrance to stop them from breaking the status quo Mm -hmm. and or like when she's talking to to megumi and they're saying oh but what if like a plane crashes like what if a shinkansen (laughs) explodes yeah yeah yeah. like honestly laughing relatable that's technically true yeah what if shinkansen could explode yeah what if but there's always going to be risk with anything that comes in life. Yeah. So I like that they established right off the bat in the first episode what is Mari's deal. Yes. <laughs> and also yeah. what the main theme of at least the beginning of the show is going to be. I feel like the way that they are able to kind of create these like feelings that feel quite profound, even in very simple everyday things, like something just as simple as taking the train in the opposite mm-hmm. direction. You know, and how that can feel like your first step towards an adventure. Because, like, Mm -hmm. just because it's a small thing, just because it's not, you know, I'm not boarding a plane to Antarctica right away, um, (laughs) it's still significant. So I just really related to that. I also liked that... I feel like there's a common theme in anime where you have... Okay, so because Shirase and Kimari, we meet them in this episode, and they're quite opposite, right? Like, Kimari Mm -hmm. is, like, this outgoing, bubbly character. (laughs) And Shirase is, like, quite serious. Um, So I think it's really funny just the way that their characters play off of each other. But also, I feel like a lot of the times in anime, you have the main character being, like... Like the okay, Kimari is a bubbly main character, but usually it's the main character who has this like really strong sense of conviction, and then it's like a secondary character that gets inspired by that conviction. But in this show, it's kind of the opposite. Like, Kimari is technically our main character, and she's the one that gets inspired by Shirase's Mm -hmm. conviction because Kimari, the episode starts off, and we see that Kimari has this bucket list that she wants to like you know, go on an adventure and she feels like her youth is like expiring, even though she's she's literally <laughs> she's in high like school. She's like 16. Yeah, and I was like, um, okay, calm down. Um, nervously. <laughs> Laughs nervously. But it's like a very vague goal, right? Like to put on your bucket list, go on yeah. an adventure is quite vague. And so to contrast that with someone like Shirase, who is literally like, I'm going to Antarctica and I literally have the money for it (laughs) (laughs) is like kind of impressive. And it's kind of an interesting contrast. But I would argue that um, Shirase is really the main protagonist, because Mm. even if we talk about the ending, she's the one who gives the final speech during their departure. She's the one who 
who has most of the screen time in the grand finale of the show. Mm-hmm. So I would say that Shirase is the main protagonist, but we're able to live through those experiences alongside Kimari because I think that she's the easier person to relate to. She's mm-hmm. almost like the mm-hmm. canvas character that you can just put yourself... <laughs> Maybe I'm saying this as like a bubbly person myself, but oh, I feel okay, like yeah. she's the can- can- canvas character that we can put ourselves into. And it's almost like... Gatsby-esque in that way because (laughs) I know this is a reach. (laughs) What? (laughs) Because we get the main storyteller, Nick, who's telling this story about... (laughs) I'm so... I'm sorry. I just was not expecting this. (laughs) Oh my god. We're having a visceral reaction because Gatsby is like. Gatsby is. It has a special place in our hearts. Yeah. (laughs) Kimari is Nick Carraway, yeah. Yeah, Kimari is Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Shirase is Gatsby. Yeah. Tell me you don't see it. Shall we talk about the next episode, episode two? Mm-hmm. This is the um, one where they meet Hinata for the first time. Oh, yes. So Hinata, when she was introduced at first, because I knew that they were setting up this ensemble cast vibe, mm-hmm. or at least this quartet, and I was interested to see how they would have the personalities play off of each other, because I think mm-hmm. when Hinata first comes in, I'm like, oh, she's just like Kimari. Like, she's mm-hmm. she's outgoing, she's bubbly, Um she just has this like cutesy optimism to her. So at first I was like, how is she going to differ from Hinata? There can only be one. There can bubbly. only be one. <laughs> No, I was worried that there wouldn't be enough like, oh, like interesting yeah. overlap and in, like what the dynamic would be. Um, but by the end of it, I was quite impressed to see how Hinata's character uh, does like differentiate from all the other girls. Because she's arguably very different from girls her age, right? Mm-hmm. Namely, she's yeah. not in school. Yeah. And we discover later that she has all of this past relational trauma. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, it, it feels like there is a good reason for her to be the smartest or the wisest yeah. one out of all of them, right? Yeah. And so I think that because she is wiser, more logical in her thinking, mm-hmm. um, and she's more, like, she has higher IQ, her EQ is lower, oh, right? Like yeah, she doesn't. Yeah. She has more mean. problems that come up because of her pride and her ego, which yes, I'm sure we'll yeah. talk about more later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's an interesting um, way of shaping her character. Um, so the next episode, episode three, we meet Yuzuki, who is our last girl, yeah. best girl, <laughs> our last best girl because they're all best girl. Yeah. Um, before we talk about Yuzuki specifically, mm-hmm. I want to talk about how, um, I guess this is more of a cin- cinematography thing that I noticed in this episode where um, there's this shot that the show keeps reusing, the same shot of Kimari and Megumi sitting at their desks at school. Oh, If you yeah. notice, every time they cut to that shot in the classroom, it always cuts in the exact same angle. Um, hmm. It's this like as this like side angle side profile yeah and i think the repetition of that almost emphasizes like the monotony uh, or like maybe just maybe not the monotony but like the very like ordinariness of their Mm -hmm. high school life blandness yeah and so it like i think it if it's a shot that is very purposefully like shot to feel less dynamic and less exciting than the rest of the scenes in in the show. So Yuzuki is 
the last addition to the quartet. Um, she is a child actress who is compelled to go to Antarctica by her manager, Mom. She doesn't want to go mm-hmm. um, because she has a hard time making friends because of her social status as a celebrity who yes. always has to, like, move around a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's just so heartwarming, this notion of Yuzu finding friends for the first time. Like, yeah. I think that it's... Most people don't understand that it's such a luxury to have mm. friends to travel with and to, you know, people to vibe with. And so yeah. I just felt really happy for her. And I like that she has this phrase um, that she always says throughout the episode. She always says, I could just die right now. Right. Yeah. And I like that from at the beginning of the episode, she always says it. But it's coming from a place of absolute dissatisfaction about her life. Like she's like, oh, I could die right now. But I like that by the end of the episode, she's still saying the same thing, but it's out of contentment. Like, Mm, mm -hmm. I'm so happy I could die right now. Maybe not to that extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, along the lines of now she's in a place in her life where she can finally, she finally sees a direction, an Mm -hmm. emotional direction that she can go towards. And she does try to make friends. It's not like she's out here, like, sulking in a corner. Like, she has Mm -hmm. tried, um, but... Her classmates are clout chasers. And I do think yeah. that there is something to be said about like what kids go through when they're put in a spotlight at an early age. So mm-hmm. we do get a sliver of that from her for sure. I think it was really endearing as well when Yuzuki, like after she meets them, I think it's maybe their second time talking to her. And she thinks that the three of them are like best friends who've known each <laughs> yeah. other for years. And I thought that was really endearing because it kind of goes into that theme of like how how much a shared goal or a shared Mm -hmm. interest can bring people together regardless of time because I think that it's not just amongst the four of them but we see later how these four characters are paralleled by the adults of the expedition and Mm -hmm. one of the things Mm -hmm. that I questioned about this show is like how can these kids and these adults get along so well you know like you <laughs> yeah. gotta have some kind of generational disconnect there has to be yeah but they're like best friends i think there is something to be said about connecting people despite age difference because uh-huh. they have that same goal and the uh-huh. adults too are mm. working against all of these pressures and like negative rhetoric um and trying to get to the same place that these girls are getting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there is kind of the aspect of, yeah, Antarctica unites us all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hooray. Yeah. Kumbaya, you know, so. I like that the writers don't, like, hammer that theme, like, or, like, shove it up our noses, <laughs> like, right in the beginning. Because mm-hmm. I think there it does come in at the end, and it does tie into that eventually, that whole idea of, like, what Antarctica means and what it represents. Yeah. But they build up to it gradually um, mm-hmm. instead of, like, literally having it be this, like, symbol that, mm-hmm. like, the characters are constantly yelling about and being like, Antarctica is my dream every single yeah. episode. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little bit more subtle than that, which I appreciated. I agree. Um, okay, we can move on to episode four. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think the scene where Kimari is observing her mom in the kitchen. Oh my god! <laughs> before, before deciding whether or not it's a good day to ask for her permission to gold. go on this trip. Comedic I was like, gold. that is so 
funny because like haven't we all done that as kids where you're like is my mom in a good mood today can i can i give her this permission slip today mm-hmm. i just thought it was hilarious so this is the episode where we meet the i guess captain the leader of this civilian expedition oh, yeah. so her name's toto and she is so <laughs> hot <laughs> yeah. i was like we have to leave that for dumpster fire um <laughs> i said it sorry yeah i know you said Literally. it she is like she's just got like such energy i was like <gasps> she just got boss energy she got boss, boss energy. energy yeah she does she could slap my face and i would thank her <laughs> so anyways we're introduced to her we're introduced to toto and um it's quite clear that shirase knows her there's some tension there there's some history there yeah i have a lot of things to say about toto Mm -hmm. because i think that she is a very symbolic character Mm -hmm. i think that as soon as we get to know her in the show we automatically are entrenched in the plot thread of shirase's mother Mm -hmm. and i would say that like how shirase is trying to deny her mother's death the entire show the show also tries to stay you know not not get too close to the grief um aspect Mm -hmm. until the end Mm -hmm. and so whenever we see toto we get introduced to her or we get a very heavy moment between her and shirase for example it always has to do with that very dark plot thread and Mm -hmm. as i said at the beginning this show is very hopeful and lighthearted, except for this one thread even the like the makeup of toto's character aesthetic like she's a very long dark figure with long black hair and she's very somber looking yeah and so whenever she's on screen it's not like she brings that brings it down because she does also have this like optim optimism to her Mm -hmm. but It's almost like this reminder that there's something dark in the back of the story, you know? Next, I want to talk about Megumi, if that's okay. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about episode five. This was a great episode. This was a great episode. Loved this episode. Yeah. Megumi and Mari are best friends. And this show really goes to a lot of lengths to paint Mari as this aspirational character, right? As we said, she tries, she's always trying her best to work the hardest that she possibly can at everything. So they really use Megumi as a character foil to be the more cynical, the more Mm -hmm. realistic one. And I like that the show takes time to reconcile these present relationships before they have Kimari moving on to her next adventure. Kimari is this uncertain girl with low self-esteem. She's always clinging to Megumi and Megumi kind of like feeds off of that because I don't know, I guess it makes her feel um Valued. makes her feel like she has worth yeah. So to see Kimari going off and becoming her own person, becoming more confident, her sense of stability is destabilized yeah essentially yeah right yeah and i like i like this term that you coined last episode um between bakugo and deku oh god i like that you called it a <laughs> relationship it? of contradictions oh yes, yes, yes because that's kind of like what they're going for with this relationship right mm-hmm. um and then at the very end i like that megumi was like I want to break up with you. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. for her, that was her way of emotionally liberating herself from this relationship and this reliance on Kimari. I, I don't know if I would call it a toxic... Re- maybe. Maybe it could be considered toxic. But 
Um, this show is like all about catharsis, right? Moving physically and having a change of surrounding or moving from one relationship to another or moving out of a relationship to right. an independent individual, you know? I definitely related to like Megumi's like, though even just like the way that she tries to like just be so stoic about it. Everyone is so afraid to like come across as too clingy in romantic mm-hmm. relationships and friendships. Um, but in like in the aftermath of that, these kinds of things do happen. These misunderstandings happen. And I wouldn't call their friendship toxic because they are mm-hmm. teenagers who are just like, you know, <laughs> they do. Th- yeah, they're just trying to figure out their emotions. But I would say like it does show what the consequences of what can happen if we don't talk about how we're feeling, if we don't like if we assume that we we understand like people's emotions without ever yeah um without you know if we're too afraid to to talk about our our feelings and stuff like that so mm-hmm. yeah like even though what she did was like terrible terrible I still felt terrible. like so so bad for her <laughs> and I still felt there was definitely a lesson to be learned for both of them by the end of it that's true um mm-hmm. so I think that their friendship was like to me the most relatable one in, in the show, mm. like the one that I really, really resonated with. Not that I didn't mm-hmm. love the quartet. I just appreciated that they took the time to like build something out of Megami's character. So about the on the topic of being vulnerable and how difficult it is, I think that this show does a good job of emphasizing how much more difficult it is to be vulnerable when you're in a relationship that's supposed to be good. So for example, I want to parallel it to the kind of situation between um, Shirase and Hinata later on, Mm. like that idea of losing your passport and then having that affect your friend, like that relationship is supposed to be good. But what happens when conflict comes up where it would be reasonable for the one person to be mad at the other person? But you have to balance that with, well, forgiveness, but also guilt and also sympathy for the other person. Speaking of the passport, that is... Uh, the next episode that is episode six um so episode six is when the girls arrive in singapore for a layover the trip has technically started they're not in antarctica yet but they're on their way so yeah the big thing the big conflict of this episode is that hinata loses her passport Mm -hmm. and obviously this is a huge problem for the trip because like so many things can go wrong obviously you are entitled to feel like upset about that but Mm -hmm. then also isn't this person your friend you have Hinata realizing that she lost it and immediately all the other girls Yuzuki and Kimari are like okay this is what we'll do we'll (laughs) Mm -hmm. we'll call the embassy blah 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 we'll get our planes like we'll get our schedule fixed like you have these two characters who are like not the end of the world everything's Mm -hmm. fine because they kind of have this emotional understanding that we just have to move forward. But then you also have Shirase, who is a more serious, more meticulous character. And this was originally her trip, but this could be a really bad thing. And that's not mm-hmm. something that anyone else is voicing. And I thought it was interesting that Hinata recognizes the the reluctance in Shirase's tone Mm-hmm. And immediately, she doesn't want to go through the meticulous process of like feeling like a burden, right? Yes. So she immediately tells Shirase, you know what? 
cut me loose. Like, you don't mm-hmm. have to deal with me. Like, it was my mistake. And that makes Shirase, like, reevaluate, um, like, the importance of her friendship with Hinata. And I just thought it was so great how it played out because there was no outward fight. And a lot of it was, like, a lot of it, it is how we deal with relationships in our real lives, which is mm-hmm. something happens and we don't immediately know what to say. So we're trying our best to read the emotions on our friends' <laughs> faces, yeah. <laughs> read the vibes in the room. The entire episode was like a struggle to come to terms with some of their own flaws, but also understand like how each character's flaws organically result in tension between the other person. Yeah. Because I think that Hinata and Shirase get a lot of screen time together just because of how different they are. I'm I'm not going to call them character foils, but like they have traits that naturally conflict with each other. Yeah. And so, you know, they have this exchange on the hotel bed where they're just like, like they have a back and forth where their backs towards each other. You know, that's always symbolic in anime of them yeah, not yeah, being yeah. on the same page. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I really like, as I said, like this show searches for cathartic moments. So the next day at the airport, I actually got really emotional at this scene. Me too. When she, um, when Shirase like slams the money down on the counter. She's like demanding uh, later plane tickets. Mm -hmm. And Hinata's issue, because you think that she's the wise one, the smart one. Yeah. But I think that her logicalness and her pride gets in the way when she's trying to interact with someone who's as stubborn as Shirase. And, mm-hmm. um, but it's Hinata's failure to realize that Shirase's priorities have changed. Like, it's no longer about getting to Antarctica, yeah. but it's more about preserving this relationship that mm-hmm. she's developed with the other yeah. girls. And so that was really nice to see. Yeah. Um, now, about Shirase... I love that they make her stubbornness a thing to be proud of, I guess. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a good trait for her, even though traditionally stubbornness is usually seen as a bad thing, because I think that there's this whole idea of perseverance, and they almost equate stubbornness, her stubbornness at least, to perseverance, right? Like, there's all of this talk about how they're never going to get there. Shirase's goal is to, like, prove everybody wrong and now she's wielding that Mm -hmm. to prove to her friends like i want you with me i'm gonna take you with me yeah no matter what um episode seven the journey continues Mm -hmm. they get to the ship there's a scene where toto is talking i believe she's talking to shirase she's kind of talking about like actually recounting what happened with Takako and so like this is I think the first time that we really learn how Takako died and everything mm-hmm. um and the way that her death obviously had an emotional impact on everyone involved but also like publicly what it meant for the expedition like and having all these sponsors and all this compensation to now nobody wanted to be involved with it because of mm-hmm. because of the civilian death um and how it made that dream to go back even harder um I love what Toto says about like about the ship itself and sort of what it represents saying some of us won't have anything waiting when we come back but we're all here that's the kind of ship this is and so it kind of goes back to that feeling of 
the ship being a symbol for yearning Mm -hmm. and adventure and being like even though you have a dream and you can't really describe it the like the ship and the journey itself is like like representative of what it means to like chase something that might be Mm -hmm. really really hard to attain and so I think the show is actually full of a lot of these reflective moments where every episode they really are trying to tell a mini story almost like tell one little chunk of these people's lives and they manage to do it in these very self-contained ways almost like it almost feels like every episode has this like moment Mm -hmm. of reflection this moment of catharsis on a shallow surface level you hear about these scientific things and these policy things and yeah they they all make sense right Mm -hmm. but they don't carry any weight but this show does a really good job of painting the pic the emotional picture of like the people's lives underneath those and how even though the policy is this that serves to spur these people on even more Mm -hmm. spurs on their conviction of getting there um and so yeah it it does a really good job of showing the emotions behind that all right so let's move on to episode nine. The story is called Antarctic Love Story. And I remember when I read the episode title, I was like, who's falling in love? I was like, I thought this was a show about friendship. Or the cold open when the guy goes yeah. up to her and he's like, I'm in love. And I was like, uh, what? Um, Excuse me? Who are you? <laughs> yeah. So there's this, yeah. yeah, the episode like opens up with that guy saying that he's in love and he has a crush on Toto. And I was like, mm-hmm. you and me both. Okay. Get in line. <laughs> Um, I like yes. that. I like that they start building up this pseudo maternal relationship between. Stop. I literally wrote that same set of words in my notes. Pseudo maternal relationship. <laughs> we are truly on the same wavelength today. This wow. is okay. This is the result of. Having had, like, every English class with you. Yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> like, exactly. We are just, we've literally ascended into telepathy. <laughs> we've literally ascended. I wrote the same thing in oh the same God. episode. Yeah. Continue. Okay, yes. So, pseudo-maternal. Um, mm-hmm. Pseudo-maternal relationship between Shirase and Toto. Um, and it's interesting because... We we get flashbacks of Takako, Shirase's mom, and it almost seems like personality-wise, Toto and Shirase are a lot more similar than Shirase and, mm-hmm. and her mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you have these two people who are, like, both very similar, like, in terms of their demeanor. And tsundere. Yeah, they're, they're literally both tsundere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Adult tsundere and baby tsundere. <laughs> oh <my God>. um, <laughs> maybe that's why I like them so much. <laughs> um yeah it's just like you can both of like neither of them are characters who are are very expressive about their feelings and Mm -hmm. so but at the same time you can feel the tension and the grief that sits between these two specifically and they have this moment in this episode where Toto almost like confronts Shirase about how like just kind of like a check-in, you know, like, what's mm. going on? Like, what do you think about her mother? Which took her a lot to get there because I think Toto also was very averse to talking about feelings. Yeah. But um, I think it was really poignant how Shirase was just saying, like, I have no idea how I feel, right? Like, yeah. she has all these unresolved emotions that she doesn't 
Like, she doesn't know who to blame. She doesn't know what to be sad about. She doesn't know how to deal with it. Like, she says, I don't I don't blame you, but you know that she doesn't even know, like, what's going on. Like, yeah. she doesn't know who to blame. Mm-hmm. And so she goes on to talk a little bit about how after the news of her mother's death, Shirase just kind of lived life, like, continued living because in her mind that has denied this thing that has happened, she subconsciously was continuing to expect her mother to return which is so sad like that is so painful and I think that at this point in the in the show I think that the name of the show is poignant because a place further than the universe it's like oh yeah Antarctica because it's far but I also think that you can equate it to death because death is the place that is further than the universe nobody has ever gone there come back and told us about it you know so yeah episode 10 to 13 i feel like this is kind of when everyone's character threads are getting wrapped up um this next one is called partial friendship and it's yuzuki Mm -hmm. focused i guess she i guess is like realizing that this journey is gonna come to an end soon and after that she is gonna get right back into having to film a drama and like you know famous people things like she's gonna be busy so she is quite insecure about the fate of her of her friendships with these girls because like who knows when she'll ever see them again Mm -hmm. um and i think it's really important to remember that yuzuki is the youngest here and but she has this air to her where she doesn't want to seem like she's the youngest (laughs) i think so she mm-hmm. writes this friendship contract to make the girls promise, I guess, that like they won't drift apart and that they'll still hang out with her. And I think it was very interesting that Kimari, her reaction is that she cries when she mm-hmm. sees it and then becomes a little bit distant and doesn't really want to talk about it right away. I really sympathized with Yuzuki's desire to hold on to this sense of real friendship and it would make sense that Kimari would be quite hurt at the idea that Yuzuki doesn't already think that they are friends um and again it goes back to that whole thing of like when you have different types of personalities and and when you don't necessarily like talk about things or like (laughs) check in on how people are feeling one person might think everything is fine. Another person might be feeling yeah. insecure. And when you don't properly unpack those feelings, this is the sort of thing that happens. You have this falling out where no one's really fighting, but clearly <laughs> there's some tension in, in the room. And so they touch on how like nebulous the idea of friendship is because it's mm. not like a spousal relationship or a mm-hmm. parental relationship where it's like okay you are from my womb you are my yeah. daughter <laughs> i will now disown you as my daughter yeah, or, yeah let's date let's break up right but friendship is sometimes more like it's a lot more abstract and i think that that's what the show is trying to touch on mm. and um it's interesting because i actually sympathized more with kimari which is just interesting um and i really liked her little monologue when she goes into um yuzu's room and she talks about her friendship with meg or megumi right which we talked about earlier yeah and i got really emotional when she was talking about her she was like showing her her text messages with, with megumi and how like megumi just like leaves her on red yeah, all the time yeah, yeah. but yeah. she still continues to text right yeah but i think that when you trust somebody mm-hmm. it, like all those things don't really matter anymore exactly. and that's 
what Kimari was trying to get across mm-hmm. to um to Yuzu like I want you to know that for me at least I yeah. hold my friends to a high level of trust mm-hmm. and I trust you right yeah I think it's a it's a great scene um I think it's so interesting that we've connected with different characters because mm-hmm. I feel like when I was watching the show I was obviously like I loved I loved like all the girls but the I think the episodes that were like the most impactful for me were the ones that were like focused on Yuzuki and focused on Shirase like the more mm-hmm. introverted characters because mm-hmm. like as someone who is just very introverted I know I don't seem very introverted like people tell me all the time but like I am mm-hmm. very introverted it takes me yeah. so much energy to send a single text message mm-hmm. um and like as someone who's like extremely insecure about literally every relationship in my life like yeah. I just like related so much to this particular conflict mm-hmm. to the Megami episode as well because like you were saying the show was really asking us what is friendship <laughs> like philosophically yeah. right mm-hmm. and the thing that Shirase and Hinata are trying to explain to Yuzuki who is still very immature right she's like she's younger than them she hasn't had any friends before is that there's no real definition of it and like friendships are the most complicated relationships I think we can Mm -hmm. have in our lives the depth of like storytelling that these kinds of relationships get in media is Mm -hmm. significantly less than romantic relationships so I agree cool we can talk about episode 11 now yes which is Hinata's episode Mm -hmm. um Let's see. Okay, so the thing I noticed about these last few episodes is that with the exception of episode 12, they really um, hammer in the importance of communal problem solving because Mm. a lot of the girls' issues stem from the fact that they just don't communicate with each other about their problems. They're hiding things. And so the structure of of the episodes is like, something disconcerting comes up and then the whole episode is like trying to unravel the nuances of that problem mm-hmm. until it culminates in this like really emotionally cathartic moment at the end. And so kind of the same structure here. Um, they're talking to some some people back home, I guess. And, yeah. Um, Hinata like gets this message from some of her quote unquote friends but she like has this like visceral reaction to them and so Shirase's like okay what the heck is going on we find out that Hinata's had this falling out with some of her teammates track and field teammates I believe when I was watching the episode um one of the things I felt was that it was like retreading some of the same themes between the two that we got in the passport episode but for me it was just kind of like okay yeah like her senpais are clout chasers Mm -hmm. whatever um but it did feel more dramatic than it needed to be um but i think that's just a completely personal thing it wasn't like super emotionally impactful as the rest of the episodes only because a lot of these episodes are like very emotionally impactful for so so for this one i was just kind of like Okay, it happened. It's there. That's true. Um, A lot of these things we've already seen in the Singapore episode. Yeah. Okay, so episode 12, guys. Episode 12 messed me up. This one left me traumatized. (laughs) This is the episode that I think the show has been building towards, which is really finally unraveling everything related to Shirase and her relationship with her mom. Mm -hmm. I think 
it's interesting that this show starts with touching upon this idea of Shirase becoming disillusioned about the trip um, mm. and specifically at the prospect of it ending because for ever since her mom died, she's had this goal of seeing Antarctica and, you know, the place where her mom visited as like the thing to chase. Right. Um, and now that it's almost ending, what is there left? for her and like what is there left to keep her afloat Mm -hmm. and so she really has to confront her grief and reckon with her pain in a way that she almost has or you know she's definitely been denying um ever since it happened and then she has this conversation with toto who says i latched on to the idea that takuko wanted me to come i really liked this quote because i think it really shows how much like when we're dealing with emotions as complicated and as visceral as grief and death, mm-hmm. we as human beings don't know what to do. And so what we do yeah. is we create we create things for us to hold on to, you know, we create meaningful things, whether or mm-hmm. not they're real. And so for Takako or for Toto, that is clinging to this idea that, you know, if if Takako were here and you know if if this were to happen like Takako would would want me to to come back for her um and I think that's the same thing that Shirase realizes which is she came because she created this idea of significance and importance for herself and now that it's ending she really has to deal with that and by the end of the episode she kind of realizes that um or well she talks to Kimari about it and Kimari kind of says that she came to Antarctica because she wanted an adventure, but now that she's here, the purpose and the goal and the importance of the journey was that she came here and made memories with her friends. And mm-hmm. that kind of reframes the purpose um, of the journey for Shirase as well, because she realizes that it is about finding closure with her mom, but yeah. it's also about being able to make friends and memories. And Just to come back to what I said earlier about creating motifs in this show, (laughs) ma'am, the emails. Ma'am, the emails. (laughs) I cried so hard. I think it is so effective what they did with this idea of Shirase over the years sending these blank emails to her mom's Mm -hmm email address and then the moment that they find her mom's old laptop and Shirase opens the laptop and she sees the flood of emails coming into her mom's inbox was so cathartic and she is like why am I about to cry she's like sobbing and then the girls are outside sobbing I was like I was like, hello? I didn't ask for this. That's what makes an effective motif, right? Like the idea of a motif is that we see it and we're like, that means something. And then every single time we see it, there's a new layer of meaning to it. And I just think that (laughs) the way that they were able to achieve the emotional payoff of this character arc was so, so, so earned. Um, and I was sobbing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think that's saying something. It, I was, it wasn't like I was, oh, my eyes are watering and there's tears. 
I was like ugly crying. Dry. <laughs> yeah, me too. Didn't we call to plan this episode? Yeah, after? and then we had our prep call like half an hour later, and I was like, just to let you know, I'm, I'm a little bit raw fragile. right now. <laughs> I think that that can really also be seen when we see Shirase's like pure, um, like her hesitancy in wanting to go. Because if she goes, yeah, that means, and she knows fully well mm-hmm. that her illusion will now be shattered, or yeah. at least there's a potential of shattering it. Mm-hmm. And the other girls are scurrying around the place trying to find something, and she's telling them like, "Guys, like, it's give okay. up. There's nothing yeah. here. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with it." But you can see how that is a manifestation of her not wanting to find anything. And I think that the way um, the highly cathartic scene was executed was also very nice. Just like by herself in her dark room Mm -hmm. and just seeing those emails come up. Mm -hmm. I think those were that was very lonely and melancholy. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to cry so much, but I did. And it hurt. I know. It was painful. I know. Luckily, we have episode 13, yes. which is a little bit... <laughs> Our actual finale. More lighthearted. Yeah. Um, the denouement episode, definitely. It reinstates the tone of the show as being generally hopeful. This is kind of a personal note, mm-hmm. but you remember when I took that trip to Iceland? Yes. I think... Well, okay. If you'll allow me, I would like yes, to talk a little bit about Antarctica. Yes. Because I think that, you know, as you said, it isn't that big of a deal <laughs> all mm-hmm. through the show until you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just got really emotional looking at some of the scenes of the landscape because yeah. it does really look similar to like Iceland. I took a trip to Iceland two summers ago mm-hmm. um, and it was just really nice. As we mentioned before, there's something about... Um, like vast landscapes and the glory and grandeur of nature that humbles you and Mm -hmm. that um, allows certain emotions to surface. Mm -hmm. And I really, I think this show gives a lot of like banger thesis statements. Like they just tell you what's up. Part of Shirase's um, farewell speech at the end. So she says, Antarctica is a place that strips everything bare. Time, life, hearts it's a place with nothing to protect you and nowhere to hide it's an environment that exposes everything we're embarrassed about and everything we want to hide and so naked and crying we're forced to come face to face with who we really are like is this it's a 16 year old girl or is this a <laughs> philosopher yeah. I don't know. yeah yeah but um i like that throughout the whole show they're constantly posing this question of why these people want to go to Antarctica. Uh Why does the expedition crew want to go? Why do the girls want to go? Mm. And whenever it comes up, they always describe Antarctica as being this completely unforgiving place. But yeah, I really like that all of that culminates in the last few episodes. Like, they finally make it, and Mm -hmm. boy, is it worth it, because the animation... While it probably doesn't do the real thing justice, Mm -hmm. animation still is able to bring out the beautiful in things. And so I think the animation does capture, at least in essence, some of the things that people should go to Iceland and Antarctica Antarctica to see because, yeah, it's really breathtaking. I think... Antarctica as a choice for this setting of the story has was very effective. And the speech that you brought up, um, that is what I call a writer's room speech. I feel like every show <laughs> right? has one. Mm-hmm. And um, I love 
I love writer's room speeches because I think to me, like as someone who writes a lot, um, I think it's a, the time for the writer to be like, okay, I've earned this. Right? Sometimes yeah. some shows don't I've earn their writer's this. room speech. Some shows yeah. do not. Some shows just like go in and they launch their whole like thematic thesis statement. Right. Um, but for it to be impactful, it has to have been built up in an effective way. And I think the show definitely earned theirs. I love that the ti- the episode title is We'll Go on Another Journey Someday. I think that is so cute. Okay. I think that I'm like down. it really like cements that that theme of hopefulness that you really seek out for these types of shows. Yeah. Yeah. It's just particularly hard to watch in quarantine. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah, don't watch it now, but um, put it on your list. (laughs) The next segment that we usually do on the pod is called the Bechdel test, where we do the Bechdel test. (laughs) But today, obviously it passes, so there's not much else to say there, but we're going to open up this discussion, I guess, to talk a little bit more about female representation in anime as a whole. Um, I guess how this show situates itself yeah. Um, yeah. in that realm and just our thoughts and feelings about, you know, watching an anime that is very female focused. Like I came in knowing that it was going to be an all female cast for the mm-hmm. most part and that it was I, I'm sure it was going to be very empowering. But yeah. I don't think it really hit until episode the end of episode two, where they're having this chase scene through the red light district. Yeah. Right? It's this idea of being in motion. And so they're literally running through um, urban Tokyo at night. There was something particularly freeing about that and emotional about seeing that because I mm-hmm. think that um, it was at that moment that I realized that I always see these kinds of scenes with young boys, right? And, and so it was just so refreshing to see such yeah. a story being told from the perspective of four high school girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though the main cast is comprised of all girls, at n- no point ever, ever, does yeah. it feel like any of the four main girls are being used in some way to forward a particular narrative agenda. It's just so clearly a story and a case study about these four girls, their mm-hmm. lives, and mm-hmm. what they go through. Um which is so, you see that so often for young boys in shonen anime sometimes. Yeah, it's necessary to have stories that are that are explicitly about female empowerment. Like, we need those kinds of stories. I think there is a place for them. You see a lot in, in media. Like, the expectation is like, okay, if you're, you always have to have some kind of message. And I like that the show doesn't, necessarily focus on mm-hmm. on having any kind of message related to being a girl and like the mm-hmm. struggles of it it really isn't about yeah. that at all and i think there's a really funny scene that happens i can't remember it's in it's in the start of the show where they are they want to go to the information session i think it's the same episode mm-hmm. episode two they want to go to the antarctica like info session but they can't because like they're too young to go like they're not initially right. allowed to and so they have this like funny scene where they're like okay someone goes to seduce one of the yeah. male expeditioners <laughs> and i like that the scene is like treated as like comedy it's yeah c- completed uh, treated as a complete joke on like it is undeniably part of like 
be like the like the way that the female experience is portrayed in media a lot but they're making light of it and i thought mm-hmm. that was really really nice mm-hmm. it reminds me of why i love little women um the book and also mm-hmm. the movie mm-hmm. so if you if nobody's ever seen the latest adaptation by greta gerwig it is one of my favorite movies right now and i distinctly remember an interview that um with greta mm-hmm. and she was talking about how she really made it's important to emphasize sound in the movie so that she could create this symphony of sound in the girl's household of the Mm. girls laughing and slamming Mm. doors and cooking in the kitchen. And I think that in some ways, they do this also in a place further than the universe because there's so many... Um, like there's never a dull moment with the girls you know they're always laughing Mm -hmm. about something pranking each other um, being scared over something and it's always in this like high-pitched giggly voice you know (laughs) but I think that's part of the appeal because um, there is something about there has been something historically about how women should be you know sit nice and pretty and quiet and Mm. to see something like a work that portrays females and women as loud and boisterous and just being themselves freely yeah. without any restraint is a, mm-hmm. is is refreshing to see and very encouraging as well. And I also was thinking like how would this show be feel different if it like was about like if it followed a cast of boys mm-hmm. because I think what we had mentioned in our Cowboy Bebop episode was that there are some stories or experiences or emotions that you Mm. can really only portray through the female experience and i do think that the adventure story would feel different if it was following a cast of boys Mm -hmm. um and i think sometimes when people think about like oh like what makes a good story is like oh it doesn't matter like if it follows boys or girls or whatever ethnicity or you know whatever Mm -hmm. but i do think that it does matter a little bit like growing up like thinking that seeing that most of the popular anime out there or most of the anime that was that was being made was catered towards that shonen little boy audience um it does kind of like even though i can enjoy it it's hard to sometimes fully connect because you're always like oh, this is a good character for a show or a good female character for a shonen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's nice to just kind of watch a show and be like, the- this is just great. It's just mm-hmm. nice female character writing, you know? And, yeah. And girls aren't being regulated to mm-hmm. whatever archetype. <clears throat> I agree. And it's one thing to say that everybody is equal, but it's a different thing to say that everybody's the same. And mm-hmm. I think it's potentially harmful when we do treat everybody the same um every community has different experiences exactly and we can't pretend that they don't you know there's an interesting lack of male characters as a whole in the show um Mm -hmm. but it's not like intentional though yeah, yeah yeah definitely intentional and it's not like oh, there's, like, no men in the show or whatever. Yeah, It's more just, like, they're there. But similar to how female characters get treated in other shows, um, they're just in the background. Um, They don't really play any particular role. um, Mm -hmm. And it's not like they're absent from the story, but the story's not focused on them, Mm -hmm. um, which I just appreciated. I think one of my critiques, though, is that it doesn't seem really realistic. And I say that because, like, how do they go to antarctica with so little obstacles and also like yeah it's 
based on the present reality, um, expeditions like that are usually manned by more men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you don't typically see that much women leadership and empowerment on the crew of scientific mm-hmm. expeditions, which is the present reality, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to use it to bash the show, though, because mm-hmm. I don't think that's, the reality is not what the show is trying to encapsulate. Definitely not. No. Um, but yeah, I, it was a little bit of, oh, so that was so easy for you, eh? Interesting. <laughs> I could never. Because if yeah, the show yeah, is yeah. serving to inspire, right? Yes. You might yeah. want to add in a little realism. But I mean, it's a fine line. Yeah, so it is a fine line. And I think like, again, there's nothing wrong with wanting to write a, a story that's supposed to like it's supposed to very closely resemble like slice of life contemporary in our Mm -hmm. real world but to write that world a little bit more aspirationally than our real worlds like i think Mm -hmm. that's totally fine i don't Mm -hmm. think every piece of media that is like that sets out to be a contemporary has to like you know stick to our (laughs) real world standards like so closely because i think there is value in in writing aspirationally and being like Maybe mm-hmm. the commander of the expedition is a woman and maybe everyone around her is a woman. Yeah, um, exactly. What's wrong with that? Like, maybe mm-hmm. it's not realistic right now, but like, who cares? Like, it's <laughs> it didn't detract from the show, mm-hmm. for sure. I want a shonen with a... Girl, I know. I want a shonen with a female protagonist, yeah. which I can think already, like maybe Soul Eater was a good example. Yeah, we talked about Soul it Eater was one of a kind, I suppose. And then what else? Let's look it up right now. To be honest, hmm. not all of these look like shonen, shonen, like in the way that like Soul Eater is a yeah. shonen, in the way that Hiro Aka yeah. is a shonen. We're using the word shonen as this like placeholder word for so many like many genres and tropes because shonen is just the name of the demographic but like it's kind of encompassed more than that like if you don't want to mm-hmm. call it a shonen like why can't there just be a show that's just like an action adventure <laughs> yeah that's, like maybe fantastical or not maybe an urban fantasy or whatever that's mm-hmm. just has a female protagonist like maybe we'll write it <gasps> <gasps> an idea a thought <laughs> Hey, yeah. Chris, what do you think about starting an anime with oh, me? Oh, my God. <laughs> At 8 p.m. I Neither you. of us can draw. That's the problem. That's the problem. Michelle. Yeah, oh, my God. Help. Michelle. <laughs> Michelle did our Shout um, out. Our Shout artwork. out, Michelle, for our yeah. new artwork. Thank we you. We love it. We love it. We actually love it. Um, yeah. She should uh, be our artist for our shonen anime. For our shonen that anime. <laughs> All right, so for our next segment, we're going to do Dumpster Fire, which is the segment that we do when we are tired of life. Just kidding. Um, when we are, <laughs> are we? <we're> just... <laughs> are we kidding? <laughs> uh, we could talk about whatever we want about the show that we just talked about, anything we miss, anything we love, anything we hate. So one of the things that we talked about prior to recording that we wanted to cover is voice actors. Um, so I didn't do any research into any of the voice (laughs) actresses or actors. So Chris today is going to, uh, hopefully pleasantly surprise me with yeah okay so the reason i went okay oftentimes i do go down the va rabbit hole these days just because when you start watching a lot of anime you start 
hearing voices and you're like, mm-hmm. where is that person from? Okay, actually, I'm going to start with Shirase's voice actor. Ooh, okay. Because this was one that I, like, I didn't necessarily feel like was familiar. But when I found out who it was, I was like, oh my gosh. So okay. her voice actor is Kana Hanazawa. She's done so many things, but mm-hmm. she, I think she's probably widely known for voicing the character of Nadeko from the Monogatari series who sings the Renai circulation opening. <gasps> Wait. Wait, so she, hold on. So she, she sings, sang that Renai- song. Mm. Shiraz sings Renai. Yeah, literally. <laughs> da, 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 yeah, that one. With yeah, high pitched voice. Mm-hmm. Whoa. So that is like the ultimate uwu anime girl song, um, yeah. which I thought was really interesting because I feel like that song has kind of transcended now. Definitely. Like that op ended up blowing up over the years and it's mm-hmm. like so popular now it's so ooh. and it's like so ooh and like it was one of my favorite songs as a kid and so when i found out that she <laughs> voiced nadeko and sang that song i was like dead dying on the floor <laughs> oh my god yeah because her voice is shirase is lower it's definitely. lower yeah. yeah and that and song is notes. like so bubblegummy <laughs> she yeah she has like a lot of like random voice roles um She's also read Blood Cell and Cells at Work, which I oh thought my was funny. Gosh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love Red Blood Cell. I love her. <laughs> um, okay, so Yuzuki's VA, mm-hmm. Hayami Saori. So, okay, the reason that like I freaked out was because she voiced this is not relevant to you, but oh, okay. <laughs> she voices someone from Naruto, probably. Uzumaki Himawari. <laughs> oh, who I was like is- Naruto. <laughs> <laughs> she voices Himawari, who is Naruto's daughter. Um, oh, and I she know her. has. Mm-hmm. I know she her. Is- we go back. <laughs> we go, we go <laughs> way back. So, like, obviously, as like a longtime Naruto fan, she right. is also my daughter. <laughs> Um, Yuzuki's your daughter. Yuzuki's I my daughter. Um, so it. every time Yuzuki spoke, I was like, oh, Himawari, <laughs> my daughter. Yeah. Um, um, she also voices the um, main girl from Asylum Voice, Nishimiya. Yeah. Wait, really? Yeah, but Nishimiya is, is like girl? a deaf character, so she doesn't have many speaking lines. Yeah, but, but I, um, I always did admire the way the voice actress did her voice. Yeah. Because it's difficult to um, emanate the voice of somebody who can't hear you know like yeah that's, exactly it's a very hard concept to wrap your mind around as somebody who can hear yeah yeah, yeah. so i thought that was interesting because like yeah that's probably a, a hard role to play now that we're done with the vas i thought it would be fun to bring back a segment that hasn't yeah. been relevant for a while which is guessing each other's favorite character this is like the most low iq segment <laughs> ever but we like love this segment we love this. why don't you guess mine first because i okay, feel like okay. i have Okay. No, no justification. No don't clues. Don't give me any hint. Yeah. Okay. So, given your track record, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, your favorite character has to be oh 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 Kimari. Yay! Okay, 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 okay. That should be an easy one. Why? Just because I feel like you like those kinds of characters. Like I feel like. There is like 
Mm-hmm. You know what? Like, I just think you just have a feeling. You just have a feeling. Like when I started <laughs> We're watching just telepathic. Her, when I was watching the first episode, I was like, mm-hmm. "This is an Emily this character. An Emily this <laughs> just feels like an Emily character. Like right. this feels like someone you would like die for. You know, right? Which right, like right. I can definitely attest to that. Like I would die for her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. I think that I do as I'm growing. In maturity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why was that voice? As I'm growing, I find yeah. that I'm um, being attracted towards characters that are are the more um, optimistic and like bubbly, wholesome protagonist mm-hmm. type. I yeah. wasn't. I didn't used to be like that. Like for me, my childhood was Kingdom Hearts, right? And I used to be like, oh, Sora, Sora? again, because Sora <laughs> is this like very character that's very driven he's like your aspirational right, right, right. Um, protagonist right he yeah he believes in the power of friendship and i was like really this again sora um but i feel like as i grow older mm-hmm. i'm more appreciative of um optimistic characters i feel her you know so i feel her energy yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly okay i'm conflicted because I remember you texting me being like, I would die for Kimari. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? I remember you texting me that. But as Mm -hmm. I've learned on this podcast, we can't use earlier precedent to decide because. No, I'm kind of all over the place. I'm kind of all over the place. Oh, yeah. But just from the personal connection, I'll guess Yuzuki because you said you really connected with her. Yeah, you got it right. You got it right. I was, like, worried that you wouldn't get it because I was like, oh, okay, given my track record, she should pick maybe Shirase because, right. like, she's a yeah. little bit more, like, explicitly tsundere and, like... Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So but, why why Yuzuki over uh, Shirase? I think I found her lack of emotional intelligence really yeah. endearing. Like, I think Kimari is endearing in this way that she's, like, so so cute Mm -hmm. but i think there's something about yuzuki that is quite awkward (laughs) and i think that awkwardness was like something that i really resonated with like i felt Mm -hmm. like if i was if i was any one of the girls as like a when i was younger i would definitely be yuzuki because she's just Mm -hmm. so awkward and like doesn't really know how to express herself and i think Mm -hmm. i was definitely like that when i was younger so the interesting thing about yuzuki though is that she very much seems like the type a b character where she Mm. is a celebrity so when she's when it's her duty to do so to perform she's the most natural one out of all of them right if she like has to do it yeah but in real life she does have the awkwardness her to her Mm. and i think that even though you do I agree you do have an awkwardness, but I think that... (laughs) I'm glad we're on the same page. I also think that when it comes down to it, you can be very eloquent or professional or whatever you want to call it when when it's called for. Um, So yeah, I see it. Sometimes you just like learn, like fake it till you make it. So definitely resonated with that yeah um wow we got each other's face okay but like obviously just like on a dumpster fire note my second favorite character in the show is captain toto i like that she does have the boss vibes 
that she's also soft, which I know is your downfall. I know. <laughs> That's I know that you are soft for characters that are like, ooh, That's I'm all that. And then turn around. They're like, uh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I'm shy. <laughs> and Chris is like, yes, give me more. <laughs> I feel so- I know you. <laughs> so let's wrap it up right now with our ratings. Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm going to rate it. Mm-hmm. This might seem high. <laughs> Just 4. go with your gut. 4.5 out of 5. Um, okay. Face sunburns. <laughs> nice, nice. From the arc Antarctic sun. Yes, yes, yes. Um, not just any sun. Mm-hmm. Although it's the same sun. Anyways. Um, <laughs> yes, I would give it a 4.5. Okay. Because I think that there is some suspension of belief to be seen or to be had. Um, because, you know, they are trying to trying to go somewhere with the tone of the series. But I, I want to rate it really high because I think that on a personal level, I had such an easy time connecting to the characters. Mm. And I felt like a lot of the lessons were so relevant to my own life that it just made me all the more emotional. And so instead of nostalgia playing a role this time, I'm yeah. going to say it's the emotional manipulation of the show yeah. on my heart. Mm-hmm. That played a role. I am going to rate the show. Four out of five. Okay. Passports that you lose in Singapore. And then find... And then find and then your find purse. Like a day later in your friend's purse. Yeah. I think for me to give a show a five, it has to leave me like floored, you know? Like there has to be something about it that like... It has to feel special to me on a level that's more than just like, did it execute... It's storytelling well. Yeah, you know? I agree. But with that said, like, you know, it's a four. Like, it's an amazing show. Like, there is really something to be said about a show that can make you tear up every episode, that can make you, like, feel endeared to a cast of characters in such a short amount of time. And, like, mm-hmm. it, it's the type of show that can very much fall into melodrama if not done well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the fact that they were able to kind of take these, like, universal themes of like interpersonal relationships and like show it in a way that's not novel or groundbreaking but just genuinely impactful and human Mm -hmm. um does warrant a very high rating so that brings us to the end of this episode thank you for sticking with us all the way we know it wasn't easy don't forget to check us out on youtube at the workshop twitter at into the workshop spotify at the workshop. <laughs> I'll get this right one day. Until then, we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>